to the Sim Racing Perspectives podcast for Sunday, the 12th of August 2018. I'm joined today by Mike from Sim Racing 604. Hello, everyone. And a special guest, thanks to Mike, we have Mitchy Hoyer. Hello, everyone. Welcome. And thank you, Mitchy, for joining. Now, the idea behind this episode was a kind of a Q&A session, which we'll get into in a moment. But to begin, uh, and to welcome Michi to the show. Michi, can you briefly outline how and when you got into sim racing? I basically got into sim racing in December 2005 with uh, a colleague of mine getting a G25. And back in the day, um, Izzy, or the Izzy Corporation, um, gave a demo version of their brand new R Factor 1 with it. Yep. So uh, he got into sim racing there and he dragged me into this real sim racing at that point. But the initial start of racing games as back then with EA Sports F1 2000, that is where I started the, the real thing, so to say. Okay. And primarily on, on PC, have you ever played played on console as well? or? Uh, with my friend, obviously, I had one or other go at the console in F1 well, there was another F1 game, I think F1 2003, which he had on the PlayStation 2 or something, but I never found the PlayStation or the console to be somewhat eligible for sim racing at all. Okay, okay. And in terms of what you're doing now, now I know that you, you're you involved in a, a team, so can you explain your your team ACR Zack Speed and also uh, Avid, Avid Chronic Racing? And how did you come to join the teams? Uh, that, was, that was probably a longer story, but to outline it, um, I went into Formula Sim Racing in 2014 with a Venus Project Racing team. Yep. And things didn't go too well, and at the end of the day, uh, the team was about to fall apart, and we were like, okay, let's just do the last two or three uh, races here in Ace. And in the very last race, I had like a good feature race and a good sprint race, and that actually brought Avid Chronic Racing on the plan saying, hey, what about you joining us for 2015? I'm like, well, yeah, good uh, good point. I mean, think my current team will fall apart and otherwise I got nowhere to go. So here we are. And um, well, what happened then is Chris Kopp went to FSR presidency and asked me to somewhat help him out on the day-to-day -day business. So he could some sort of separate his positions. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then, I, I don't know, I, I took lead of the team in 2016, uh, carried the lead in 2017, and while in that year, um, we had a merge together with VM Motorsports, the team with Rudy van Buren in it. Yeah. And after the merge, yeah, we had a go at potential sponsors and potential partnerships, and that is where Zaxby came um into the play so with sack speed being a um a gt3 team here in germany located yes. uh, very uh, very near to the to the nurburgring with over 50 years of competitive racing and uh, over 400 race wins and 22 championships won um they obviously have a lot of experience and uh, yeah we are their official esports team and so okay. we have a little bit of a of a separation in inside the team like saying the top um is azr sucks b or avacronic racing sucks beat so to say yeah and uh, this is obviously the place where you want to be so the other guys in the standard acr team are trying to pull their way up uh to get this some sort of uh yeah benefit or some sort of label as being high performance okay interesting and um I know that I noted that in race room there's a there's an old uh, Zach Speed Capri from back in the day and I guess basically that's the same Zach Speed and I I somehow thought I remember looking it up I I I, I thought that Zach Speed as a team as a as an organization was actually gone but I believe it still exists now today is it so yeah, it's the very same team. Like uh, uh, two weeks ago, they were celebrating, or one week ago, they were celebrating the 50th anniversary of the team. Okay. Uh, at the Nurburgring, together with the ADAC GT Masters. Yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, Saxby has a 50-year existence. 
had six or seven years in Formula One, uh, also raced this for Carberry, as you mentioned. So, yep. um, yeah, they have quite a bit of history going on. Okay. And obviously we're, we, we are extremely delighted and happy to join them. Okay, very interesting. I looked at the um, the website earlier, it, the German website, and um, I guess in German German language mostly, and I'll include a link to the website in the description below for those who want to check it out because you can see the esports elements and also going all the way back to the Zach Speed Capri, so it's quite interesting. Now, um, yes. yesterday Mike posted... Uh, a video on his channel where he asked for people to um, pose questions for Michi to answer. So, Mike, if you could lead with the um, the questions, and what I've done is I, I've I've added the person's name there, and then and then I've tried to uh, break the questions down. So, Mike, if you could start with the first question from Carl Sampson. Sure. Yeah. So, Carl Sampson wanted to ask you, Mitchy, um, and I know this is going to be difficult. Uh, you might actually want to answer this in years instead of hours. But uh, how many hours did it take you to get to alien level? And I know that's a tough one to answer because there's no, you know, definitive level where you become an alien. But uh, let's maybe rephrase that and say how. Uh, much sim racing did it take you to get to where you are today? Like, is this something you do two hours a day, four hours a day? And for how many years have you done that? So some are done in a nutshell, a lot. Um, I mean, skill is something you should have when trying to, to get up to speed, mm. when you get want to get up to a certain level. Um, but obviously skill only develops and, and shows its full potential. Um, if you, if you put excessive work in it. So, um, at the very first, I was just doing stuff for fun. Um, but at some point, despite being in the private league for the first seven years of the career, so to say, you know, I found out that I was like extremely down when things didn't go well, or I was happy if, if I came second or first. Um, and at some point you were starting to look at details. You were, you were watching F1 closely and you were like, yeah, that, that what those guys are doing, I want to do so much. And then you, as you say, you keep sitting and put hours of, of hours of hours of work in. And, um, then at some point when there is the opportunity, you need to be there. And, uh, that is what happened to me. I think my major breakthrough was the uh, the world fastest gamer final in R Factor 2. And it was like, you know, qualifying for the second round in the Sunfort was so in intensely close. Like, um, I was sitting there at the day and I was having a drink in the evening and I knew exactly that the final few hours um, people will go and test again. And as it stands with a good three or four hours to go in the qualifying, which was gone for entire going on for an entire week. Um, I found myself in P21 with the top 20 to proceed to the to the race event and to the race shootout. Mm -hmm. And I was separated by P20, which was Oli Pakala, by a thousandth of a second. Really? Wow. And I was like, no, I'm not going to drop out of this top 20 because of a thousand of a second, you know? Yeah. Um, and at some point, with 40 minutes to go, there was this one lap that's where some sort I got my stuff together and uh, I improved by half a tenth or a tenth, but it's, it brought me up to P11, which meant I was going to be in the top 20 shootout for the top five to proceed in the finals. Yeah. And um, yeah, back in the day, then the qualifying went extremely well. I started fifth or fourth. Um, now I start the fourth and um, kept the position, and that was like the ticket for the final. And um, I, I, I want to point out that this basically does not have to do with that, with, with skill at that moment. Um, also in that level, it's about that luck to, that you get this one lap in, in those 15 minutes of qualifying that brings you up into the top five. Because hmm. overtaking that car was literally ridiculously difficult. And uh, obviously, with the top twenty guys of a six thousand people, you're not you're not racing against some 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 kind of unexperienced guy. So everyone that was in the top twenty shootout knew exactly what he was doing. And to be part of that group actually was um, 
was very delighting. But as you say, um, before that, you do numbers of hours in the sim. Sometimes you, you sit there three, four, five hours, and then you look at the data from the first thing, and then you look at, at the MoTeC files from the last thing, and you compare each other, and you see yourself progressing on that one track with that one car. And at some point, you need to develop to, to spread that skill or to spread all that um, activity on the numbers of cars. So not only Formula One, but also GT, also other cars and stuff. And yeah, at some point, they develop some kind of a feeling and some kind of, you know, somehow you simply jump in and you know exactly what to do. And um, yeah, that is probably the, the bonus and the the result of continuously numbers of hours of work being put in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lots and lots of work, and uh, you're seeing the, the results of all that hard work, so good for you. Um, next question, also from Carl Sampson, is does your skill set um, translate across different sims? So, um, you know, I'm looking at your channel right now, and there seems to be a heavy focus on R-Factor 2, um, and obviously you do iRacing, but does your skill set translate across different sims the same, or is there some sims that you're better at than others? And the clear answer is that it's no. It, it it just does not transfer from one sim to another. And um, as you mentioned, my, my channel, um, yes, I'm a heavy R Factor 2 guy. Like, this is the sim um, where I feel the best or where I feel uh, comfortable with the most. And uh, probably that's the reason why I'm so good at it. Right there, I'm racing Formula Sim Racing in World Championship level. I'm a P5 guy in, in the World Championship there, so that mm. is top notch on that point. Um, but on the other hand, when you look at what's happening at iRacing lately, and it's not like I've just done a couple of races, um, I'm into iRacing since, like, more on a more professional way, since a good seven or eight months. And yet, I was up to uh, 3,000 I rating, and I dropped again a little bit, which had a little bit of to do with technical issues also. But um, you know, I saw other people being up to five and a half or even 6,000 of I rating within two or three months um, because winning races, because they're outstandingly good on I racing, and I'm not. Um, I have to admit that. Um, so. It was just this week where a former former teammate of mine, Pacerlis Sturgis, who is uh, running the Plompin or the VRS Sprint Series or Endurance Series on, on World Championship level. So he has that World Championship Pro level license and he was in the IMSA Sports Car Championship. And I haven't had an, a bad run at all. Like I was feeling comfortable with what I was doing and I, I felt like operating at at the level where I should be over operating. And I came forth, you know, but mm -hmm. after 45 minutes, I had a 30 second gap to Gerges. So I'm um, on iRacing, I'm missing a mile on, on pace. And um, now people can start arguing whether he is, uh, whether I'm really that good, you know, because um, some thing that makes real aliens, the aliens is that they are good in wherever they are. So Martin mm. Stefanko, obviously, he's right, uh, a teammate of Asia Sackspeed. He raced the World Championship with me last year, got the first win for the team. I didn't get it. Um, he also races Assetto Corsa Virtual GP. He's cu current reigning champion there. Uh, had a drive in a real Formula 2.0 around Most or Bruno. I've kind of forgot what it was. And now he has been picked up by the Haas of one team for F1 Esports Series. So he's proven himself to be quick in all three sims. And um, a reason why I didn't try for uh, the F1 Esports thing is because, um, yeah, this F1 2017 is a nice to play game. But for me, it's a game rather than a sim. And uh, the sim racing also means. I mean, you've seen Oli Pakala, Enzo Bonito, and people also racing in the F1 esports and proving this, themselves that they're quick there. So I'll just need to get working to, to get the final transmission, though. And now, you know what? I can put down hours and hours and hours, and maybe at some point I'm going to start um, increasing the pace everywhere. Mm.
And Mitchie, right. sorry, sorry, Mike. Mitchie, no, I was just, ahead, doing, I'm just just thinking out loud. Um, our our factor two is 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 assimilation, as is i racing. So, in terms of the two titles, are you able to pinpoint the differences in t- in in the two that? Whereas you you you're you're kind of you're better in R Factor Two. Is it is it the feel of the game or is it the setup options or any idea why you think you're a bit slower in one than the other? I think in iRacing the tire model is the most important but also the most difficult thing. Okay. Part of the fi- physics to understand. Um, in R Factor Two, I can have a look at the live temperature of the tire. Can have a look into MoTeC files Mm. um, very easy and um, so I see very very fast what's going on on them tires Um, for example I had just that race yesterday with a Nissan GTR yeah once you were just a little pushing the temperatures immediately went 170 180 and you were like eating your rubber off the tires because of thermal degradation very quick yeah Whereas in I racing, sorry. Whereas when you go, when you keep the temperature in a certain stage and like not push that hard, you can run them tires endlessly long. Ah, really? Um, which is which, which is very important when it comes down to Formula Sim racing these days, because um, mm. here you're talking about you need to do a number of laps on a certain tire, and if you don't reach that, your strategy is completely game over. Yeah. Um, so you really, really need to do that tire management and stuff. Um, so when you come down to eye racing, then the only thing you can see is the number of percentage of the tire that has been gone and the some sort of temperature at the point where you took them off the car. And there it's like there is no telemetry right now in the car where you can read out live tel- uh, tire data and stuff. So you can also only look into atlas uh telemetry files where you then have to some sort of convert to to motec files yeah and it's a lot it's a lot more difficult and at the end of the day it's just that eye racing feels like driving on ice sometimes so the very the most of the cars are pretty understeery and also once your car started to slide it's like incredibly hard if not sometimes just impossible to catch that slide, to catch that spin. Um, and when you slide, you lit up your rear tires or your, yeah, the tires itself, and they lose even more grip for the next seven or eight corners, depending on how easy you get them to cool down again. Yeah. And I think that is something that comes with focusing on eye racing only. Yes. Like, mm. I want to I wanna point out Gerges again. Back in the day, he was with me in R-Factor 2 racing Formula Sim Racing in Ace. In that year where um, where I won that championship in Ace, um, he was my teammate, my, my real teammate in the very same car on the very same team. And it's not like he hasn't had a chance against me, but it was, you know, I always was that little bit better, snatching, I think, seven, six or seven wins to the to the season where he got just one, so to say, and I'm, I'm not pinpointing at all. Yeah, just an example. It, it was, mm. Yeah, it was quite apparent that we were some sort of the same skill level, the same speed level. And now, remember what I just said about the IMSA race. He mm. outraced me by 30 seconds and he qualified me by one and a half seconds. Um, so there, there is... There is no skill le- uh, difference in between, I would say, if you look at the drivers. It could be only that the iRacing thing suits him better. Yeah. Or is mm. it me just being too much down in R-Factor 2 because of FSR still? You know, if I would start uh, stop racing R-Factor 2 and, like, do five or six hours of practice only on iRacing every day, yeah, I might be up to that speed at some point too. Yeah. But it's just... Uh, since my main duties is our factor is yeah, is our factor too. Um, I'm very happy with that. Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting the strength, the, how you interesting that you can outline the the strengths of both. That's very interesting, actually. Yeah. And now, Mike. Yeah. So um, the next, actually, I'm going to combine two questions here because we had quite a few questions about setups, and to most mm-hmm. of us, setups are kind of. 
the dark art and you know we can understand racing lines and things like that but setups is where it gets kind of uh mysterious in our head so uh carl and tim uh, basically asking the same question and i want to before i get into the question i'll say that guys if you're listening to this and you want to know more about setups mitchy uh generally will go through setups um and live stream his setup work before he uh, gets into a race so make sure you subscribe to mitchy and uh he'll help you with uh setups um just by watching him do it but tim and carl are kind of asking the same question here um how long do you spend setting up your car and what's kind of your process in building a setup and then also how much time does that translate to so we'll take spa as an example so if you start out at spa in your favorite car be it the you know Zack Speed Mercedes or something like that, and uh, you start your setup, how much time do you stand to gain? Is it two seconds? Is it five seconds between the baseline setup and when you're finished your setup? Uh, that depends on a lot of things. And I'm going to do it for the case if I do know the car very well. Um, saying uh, like I've, I've done half season under my belt and now there's just another race coming up. So... On every car, and I, I tend to call it glitches, despite it obviously isn't a glitch in that sense, but every car has got its its well-known glitch. Like, um, for example, the... Um, let me see. Basically, the FSR car, one of the older FSR cars, actually always used two or three clicks more front wing than rear wing in order to operate in a good balance. That is some very um, iconic characterization of this specific car. Um, you know, if you go in, a, in another Formula One car, it might be the rear wing that always has to be one or two clicks higher than the front wing to have the balance where it, it is. So on those things, you do not spend a lot of time, basically. But... Um, let's say when it comes down to spa, um, and you go from baseline, what I often do is, especially in iRacing, um, I just drive the baseline and do a lot of trial and error. Whereas in R Factor 2, um, I would start dialing some things in of which I do think that they work. So I go for a good error package. Yeah, the first thing I probably do is aero, and then I fix the gearing, and then I start working on the balance. So first of all, um, if I have a general understeer in the car um, that appears in slow corners, I know that I have to fix it by the suspension, because in slow corners, the aerodynamics is not working too much um, because of the low speed. And... Um, then you know that you have to look for the mechanical grip to be right. And the mechanical grip is always tires in combination with the suspension. However, um, if you have like an okay feeling car in slow corners, but you start oversteering a lot in fast corners, then you want to decrease the front wing maybe, because um, in high speed area, the, the wing or the aerodynamical grip is dominant over the uh, mechanical grip. Obviously, they combine each other again, but uh, usually the um, the mechanical grip should nowhere be able to cause understeer or excessive oversteer in, um, in fast-speed corners, Expect, uh, except when you have such a low such a low car that the aerodynamics push down the car so much that you start grinding out like mad then obviously excessive understeer or oversteer could be the case. But yeah, normally you would just um, balance the car in over, um, in high speed section with the, with the wings and in low speed areas with a, uh, with a suspension. And then you try to find a good benefit or a good uh, combination of both for the entire track. So, and that obviously, it, sometimes it could, go very quick sometimes it um it just takes a little longer for example if we go to spa um we do have a lot of a lot of fast speed corners i want to say so what you want to have is a car that is good on uh, on weight transfer 
especially because there's a, a lot of chicanes also, like Rouge is very important for weight transfer, Lacombe, uh, the, yeah, the three corner combination for yeah. um, after the long straight. And um, then there is Rivage, where you go down the hill and the weight always tries to to make the the rear end very light. So you need some dumpers that keep the weight sitting at the rear, so the rear doesn't step out. Stuff like that, you know. And then there is Pujol, where you need the car's um, suspension to be rigid enough to not grind out. And at the very same time, there are the other quick. Um, and fast corners where you need the soft suspension to do a good weight transfer and also to have a, um, have a good possibility of the car to, to carry speed through a corner. So, yeah, as you can see, uh, setup always means compromise and um, balance between one and two things. Can't go with 350 kph, but have massive downfalls in the corners. Um, so, there you go. Great, great. So that was a tough question. Um, and our first question from the live stream actually should be somewhat of an easy one. Um, are you excited for a set of course of competizione? Mm, that is a, a difficult question because I have seen numbers of screenshots by uh, a set of course itself. Um, I've seen a lot of... Um, a lot of thoughts been thrown towards it from the Simpit. And I'm generally just of the opinion from the first looks, um, because Sean Cole was driving the Competizione Beta thing at E3 this year. And from the first looks, it just looks like another set to Corsa with advanced graphics. And I'm not too big of a fan of a set to Corsa. It has some nice features. I do like the time deltas. I do like um the way setup is done and setup can be um adjusted there but i'm in a big disgrace with the physics and obviously with the online netcode because cars are teleporting back and forth if you're going straight so basically you cannot really overtake out of the slipstream especially not when it's like uh, so close that you really have to be in the slipstream for the very last millimeter before pulling out for the braking zone. Um, in that point, a set of Corsa is really, really bad um, simulation to race. Um, furthermore, I saw that they are introducing, I think, a six different categories of rating. And I'm like, um, you know, I racing and it's I rating and safety rating and time trial rating. That as a as a baseline, or if you take that as a as a ground to argue, um, sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, um, you go off track by a millimeter, and then you do that for 16 times, and it's not like gaining you a tenth over the course of the race, and you're being considered worth for disqualification. Like, okay, and uh, also when you get punted in the rear without having any chance to avoid a crash in iRacing, you get noted for incidents and you're like, well, I couldn't have done anything, but you are being noted as a bad driver or as an unsafe driver. Um, and on the other hand, um, I mean, it's kind of interesting to see what they are planning to do with those ratings there. So I'm, I'm going to be up for it. But um, yeah, I'm not expecting the most exciting sim ever. Um, I mean, you know, expectations are high, yeah. just like with Broche Cast 2. And mm. to me, Broche Cast 2 was no was no bigger bigger thing than Broche Cast 1. And to me, that sim definitely flopped. For others, it probably didn't, but for me, it flopped. And um, yeah, I I just hope for the, for the entire branch that this doesn't happen with Competizione. Right. Um, that's very interesting to hear, and it kind of ties nicely into another question. Uh, this one is from Chuck Does Hot Laps. Um, Chuck has asked what your top three simulators are. So we've already talked about R Factor Two. We talked about I Racing. I'm curious what you would put at number three if you're not a fan of Seto Corsa. What uh, what else is in your top simulators list? 
a race room a racing experience okay that, that sim has been improved over the past couple of two years or, or three years and month um it started out f feeling arcadey but meanwhile uh the cars feel kind of like they should feel from what i think they mm. should feel and they are great on the sounds like the iconic sounds of some cars on a um, race room is like the best overall sims yeah i agree i agree it's fantastic um we had a couple of the guys from sector three and and race room on our podcast what i guess a month ago yeah and it was very interesting to hear the the process that they went through to create like the level of detail that they're doing behind the scenes for race room is is amazing so um nice to hear that it's getting recognition from top level drivers like yourself mitchy um jonathan straightman um has a question about uh, the quality of the sim rig how important it is to lap time so um i believe you run a g29 and you know that's considered by some to be consumer grade but you're out there kicking butt on just about any sim racer in the world um so maybe i'll ask the question in two parts one um how important do you think a sim race, a sim rig is to your lap times? And two, uh, what do you see the top level guys driving? Are they more inclined to spend thousands and thousands of, of euro on their on their setup, or are they running sort of simpler setups like yourself? Mm, there's two type of personalities, but for, to answer the first question first, um, I think high quality equipment and high quality and expensive um, sim racing rigs do give you the opportunity to make more use of your skills. Um, saying if you are very, if you're a person that needs a lot of force feedback uh, to really feel the car, then you'll probably be all right with a direct drive wheel. Whereas if you have a native um, thought or a native feel for a car and what it actually does without feeling a lot just by 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 looking on the screen and by hearing on from the headphones a g29 might be fair enough for you um and i'm not i'm not being able to put myself in either category because i haven't had uh, a high quality rig ever here at home and i'm not going to count like the 10 minutes i did a direct drive wheel on the sim racing expo last year so um to really have a conclusion on that um i would need to have my own rig uh, which i'm starting to save money right now um so in my opinion a good sim racer or a highly experienced and skilled sim racer can be fast on any rig i think point proven is rudy van buren uh winning the world fastest gamer on g29 so cannot argue around that um on the other hand i do know that especially for i racing i want to say um the porsche 911 gte cup car i tend to say it has a ridiculous brake range saying if you press the pedal 48 percent you miss the corner if you break it 50 52 you're spot on um if you break 55% you lock up and miss the corner again. So there's just some some slight room uh, or some slight window where you have to be in the braking performance. And on a G25 or G29, um, I mean, I basically removed the, the fake load cell brake or the brake pad from, uh, from the G29 and put it into the clutch um, because I could not deal with it. And... Uh, with that potential meter being in place on the brake pedal, to be in that window consecutively, consistently, is incredible hard. So the body and or the human body and its brain is designed to um, have a certain amount of muscle force being applied to a pedal in its memory a lot more easier than a certain angle of your foot um, in terms of position. So the amount of um, of muscle force being applied to something is a lot easier to repetitate um, brain-wise and obviously therefore doing-wise. So that I would think uh, um, a load cell break will improve my driving a lot. Hmm. Um, because I'm, 
I'm not bad, you know. I can get it done for like 80, 85% of the time. But it is enough to like lock up the brakes in the rear for once and spin out and crash. And um, it's, yeah, it's my personal task to minimize that gap. And I would say a proper brake pedal or proper proper pedals um, would help me, especially with a load cell brake. Um, and also when those brakes can give feedback, uh, they would help me to get in that range where it would be like 95, 96% consistent. So a lot more safety, a lot more, um, what's the word? Not durability, the other, um, reliability, that was. A lot more reliability to my own skill. Great. Um, Norman Robinson has a question um, about any other hardware you use for your sim racing setup. And you, you kind of touched on this, um, you know, single versus triple screen, direct drive, VR, that kind of thing. Um, I know you don't run any of those things, but uh, let's just follow up your last answer. So um, you said you're saving up a bit of money. What's going to be the order you buy and what's top priority for you? Are you going for a load cell first, then, you know, a direct drive wheel and then maybe VR in the future? Or what are your priorities for your upgrades to your rig? Funny enough, I just had a talk about that two or three days ago with a friend. And I was like, I'm not going to put up any order where to buy stuff. Um, I'm more like to put uh, to 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 buy all things in one day. And here's the reasoning. Um, I have in mind to get a load cell break. What I would need for that is a solid rig to like <laughs> Right now, I'm on a bureau chair on rails or on rolls. Um, if I would have a load cell break, I would like immediately crash into the board behind me uh, because of me pushing away from the desk. Um, so I need a rig. I need a solid rig for a load cell break. And I think a solid rig, an LOE rig, is also appreciated for the forces being generated by a DD wheel. With that being said, um, I would also need a second computer because, um, I mean, I cannot move around desktops or desktop screens every single time. I want to hop in the race or go back to the office work as being a ACR Saxby team manager and team owner. So I would need a new PC. I would need uh, a new gaming PC with uh, triple screens with uh, a lot of power and then there is the next point like do you set up both machines uh, the very same way and keep synchronizing them no of course not so the next thing I would need is a network area storage where I can put on the simulators on so I can feed them with data either from the office PC or from the gaming rig PC you know and when you top up the totals you could spend the six, seven, eight thousand um, euro, and you know what? Without every equipment being in place from day one, a purchase of other things is kind of useless because um, I cannot use them individually without them. Let's saying uh, I cannot make use of the rig the way I want without my network area storage because I would have to every single time replug some cables or replug some screens or some keyboard or whatever. And it's just not reasonable to do it. So if I want to get an upgrade on my rig, I buy everything out of the box hmm. and not step by step. Yes. So you'd have an, in an integrated solution for both um, sim racing and your obviously your your team management activities. Exactly, like yeah. I would have a I, I already have a place in mind where to put the rig and then where to adjust the desktop for it. Uh, so my room's design's gonna change a bit, and I already made up my mind how I put this thing together, how I'm wanting to run the business. You know, if I get um, I do not want to run with USB sticks from PC1 to PC2 if I get sent an, um, a setup by, by internet or something. I just want to open the, the computer where I received it, put it in a network area storage, have it available on the other machine. Mm. That, is, that is my solution for that. It's all about yeah. the efficiency, and efficiency sometimes is a bit expensive. 
Yeah, that's right. Lots of technical hurdles to uh, to overcome. All right, Mitchy, I've got uh, just well two more questions from uh, that came in the comments to my previous video, and then one that just came in on the live stream. Uh, the one from the live stream is: Are you looking forward to the iRacing damage model? Do you think that's going to help things or hurt things in iRacing? I'm not quite sure because, meanwhile. When racing in other races and you look at the broken net code, then um, you have contact with the car and nothing happens. You don't even get a note of the, an incident. And the next time there is 50, 50 centimeter space between your car and another car and both glitch together and having the worst, uh, the worst damage of all time, being unable to race. And you, you, know, you look at the footage and say, there was not even meant to be contact. So why did it happen? Um, that was, I would suggest to fix the net code first and then take care about damage models. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Kate, now we got a couple of questions about force feedback settings. A lot of people wondering what you run because it's, it's known to us sort of common or pleb sim racers that, uh, the higher up guys like yourself run very, very low force feedback and, um, uh, do you have anything turned on except some basic curb rumble, or do you pretty much run um, no force feedback? What are you, what are your settings like? Um, difficult. I mean, I was reluctant to to reduce the the force of the spring. What I usually had was a hundred percent spring feed the profiler, but I turned that to zero, so the wheel became super easy to turn. But that is also the point where you start feeling the littlest and smallest bump, at least on a G29. Um, so it took me a while to get used to that. But basically what I do is um, do not run any um, centering spring forces. Like, do completely erase that okay. and only run, uh, run the effect. So the car FFB molds. Um, a little bit of smoothing so it doesn't rattle all the way down and a little bit of minimum torque. Um, that is how I would say is an effective force feedback setup. So you do feel the effects of the car bouncing on the curb, bouncing on the bumps on the street. You do feel the racetrack, but nothing else. There you go, guys. So keep it low. Um, and then the final question I have for you, Mitchie, and I'm going to kind of divide it into two. Uh, Norman Robinson asked, what's your post-race um, routine like? And I believe it's pronounced Rorick asked uh, how, he gets how you get ready for the day. So can you talk to us? Let's say you have a big race. You're going to be live streaming it. Um, you know, perhaps it's a league race or something like that. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do to prepare for the race? Do you, you know, sit down, have a cup of coffee and clear your mind first? Or do you, you know, get into your rig early and start running laps to get a feel for things or what's your buildup like leading into a race and then the second part of the question is what do you do after do you immediately decompress and go for a walk or do you sit down and look at telemetry what's uh, what's your routine like around a race um usually for a kind of unimportant race let's say just a practice race or let's say just a random eye racing race to me, I simply hop in, do the stuff and either be happy or a little bit depressed on the result uh, in the end. Mm. If it comes down to FSR, it's a totally different story. So the qualifying starts 19.30 with the race starts 20.00. Um, usually the last time in the day I would eat is three three and a half or four p.m. Um, I usually drink liters of coffee, not not just cups of coffee, but liters. Um, I also stop drinking coffee after five p.m. So my body has the chance to, you know, go for toilet and stuff, and then be uh, some sort of, well, sounds weird, but be, be some sort of empty, you know so that I uh, do not need to pee during the race and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, and then I um, make up ready for drinks with a little bit of electrolytes in it, um, a good litter for the race, for the entire event. 
And yeah, I got mostly, or at least three quarters um, of the litter I drink during the race and the rest of it afterwards. And then I, you know, go can go to toilet again and like things become normal again. But this entire built up is meant to be um, so I am like not bothered with non-racing things at all. Um, sometimes, depending on how nervous I am, I start listening to music a good half an hour before I go into practice. Then I take like practice session half an hour, three quarters of an hour uh, to build up to speed. And then I want to be in that zone, you know, um, being in the tunnel, being in the zone, stuff like that. Um, after the race, to be honest, most of the time I cannot be asked looking at any data or starting doing any analysis. Like only obviously with a team, you're saying, oh, it was bad to lap that, uh, to pit that early or pit that late or stuff like that. You know, just common little post-race talks like you would see it in the ceremony waiting room in Real F1 as well. Um, but other than that, it depends really. Like if I really had a bad result, um, I can sit myself into the shower and just let let the water rain over me for 10, 15 minutes, closing the eyes, trying to somehow um, work around what's going on in my head or have a walk afterwards. Um, if the race would be extremely good, I could also turn up the music and dance around in the house, depending mm-hmm. really on the result. Yeah. Um, but obviously, good results make me make me a lot happier. I tend to look at one or other things from broadcasts. Uh, but after a race, I really never can uh, turn down. There's so much adrenaline in, in the body. Uh, still, the race ends at 10 p.m. and sometimes I still can't sleep at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., stuff like that. Um, yeah. And for World Fastest Game, it was so intense. That real final where Rudy van Buren in the end won the race. Oh, Good God, my, my body was shaking like three hours before the qualifying. And I was like, you know, that was something where I put on my earplugs, I grabbed my phone, and I put on the flight mode so no one was bothering me whatsoever. And I was having a two-hour walk with music around around the river here in the local city. Mm. I I just did not know. I, I couldn't sit still for an, for a second. I was so pumped up with with nervousity and stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, so you have to build a workaround for that. It's interesting. And Michi, if I can ask, um, I noticed from your your live stream yesterday of the W the World Endurance Championship qualifier, mm-hmm. you you were running quite a low field of view. So if you're in a a packed race, a busy race, in terms of being aware of what's around you are you looking left or right or are you are you depending on feedback from the wheel if somebody should bump into you or are you focusing on the audio for example you're running a single screen so not triples and not vr mostly so so how do you then keep track of what's around you is it audio mostly or yeah it's mostly audio and the the track awareness i want to say Mm. Um, sometimes this might not be enough. However, when being in the middle of the corner, I'm not ready to swap views, you know, to look left and right. Mm. Could do it on the straight sometimes, but usually do not do it at all. Um, I'm disadvantaged there, to be honest. Um, people also told me like it would be better to uh, to have a triple or something, but right now. My rig is not ready for that. No, no. Um, and at the end of the day, um, I'll, I'll only do it in about track awareness. You know, I'll put myself or I'll put my car in a position of which I do know that there is enough space for one, one and a half car width on the inside or outside. Mm. And then I stick to my line to like be very clear, to be very... Um, very obvious in my doing so to say um and then i care a lot about sound so 
the exterior sound is extremely important to myself and running 7.1 phones that helps a lot uh, to determine whether the car is right right ahead right to the side or right behind yeah good point um so yeah that is how i some sort of making over the disadvantage of not being on vr or triple screen yeah yeah so you have sorry your your headphones are some kind of native 5.1 or or 7.1 system not some virtualized in software no they are um as you say native which is very important and uh at some point, I started racing with headphones, and if I'm not racing with headphones, I'm like a good half a second slower for some reason. It's just you know yeah. you're focusing so much on sounds. Yeah. Like a sim, a good sim racer takes advantage from every little thing he gets. And remember, we are missing that some sort of G forces that can be felt in the real car. Yes. And the voices in the real car are so loud anyway, so you have to try to be at least good enough on the sound, equal enough on the sound, equal enough on the feeling of the wheel. And you have done to be, yeah, solid and, and own enough in order to make that disadvantage of missing G-forces being gone. All right, we got one last question uh, from chat here, and I think uh, this would be a good way to start sort of winding towards the end of the podcast. Um, could sim racing become a full-time job for you? And, um, or I guess it sort of translates into what's the bigger picture for you in sim racing? Where do you see yourself in a year or five years or 10 years from now? It's a tough one. Um, I'll be brutally honest right now. I would love to drop my real life job at some point and, um, earn my money from streaming dash sim racing. That would be the most optimal thing. Um, I want to say a big thank you to all the guys that are supporting me right now. And either whether this is uh, supporting the stream while being a follower or subscriber on YouTube and Twitch. Um, I want to say a big shout out to Michael Clark. Um, That guy puts me into challenges, gives me content to stream and honors my work monetary wise extremely a lot um i owe him so much to be honest um on the other side yes of course i'm i'm doing streaming obviously in the first place for the exposure of the team to be honest secondary also for my personal happiness uh because i like being um some sort of an example to someone um, obviously, I do enjoy people like looking up to me, um, whereas I still consider myself being an average sim racer. Um, I'm not feeling like I'm a, I'm a super alien or something because I'm not. Uh, I might agree that I am quick. Yes, I do know about that, but it's not like you know losing the ground under the feet and, and starting to fly and be be arrogant. I'm not that type of person. I try to relocate myself very, very um, on point where I am and where I am not. Uh, at least I'm trying to do so. Um, so yeah, obviously I would love to grow my Patreon program. Uh, I got some perks in there as well, where you get access to setup guides, where you uh, get discount on guided driving lessons. So I'm also giving uh, lessons on driving, working on setup, working on a driving line, working on overtaking or battling. So wherever you feel you've got a weakness, I try to obviously be there and offer my services for an hour. Um, and I usually charge a 35 euro for that. And that includes getting content, uh, trying to organize a server, stuff like that. Hmm. Um, so all costs covered. And obviously I'm not cutting off after 60 minutes because I said, oh, Hour is gone. No, uh, obviously we have soft boundaries there, so we can extend to, let's say, seventy or even seventy-five minutes if uh, it's kind of obvious that the next five or ten minutes after the sixty-minute mark uh, are very useful or very important um, for the success of the session. Um, yeah, I want to grow my Patreon program so that I can interfere a lot more with the community. 
um but that obviously needs to give me some benefit on it because i'm extremely time limited right now and that is also the reason why i do charge my lessons um because you know right now i have an eight to five job and when i come home i keep working for acr or for myself until like one two or three a.m in the morning and then get three to five hours sleep and go all over to then uh, again for the entire week so uh, time is yeah mm -hmm. time is very rare time is very um, valuable at that point and i think you would not regret investing in yourself so it's a combination of that obviously i do not i do not like putting myself in the in the spotlight saying hey i'm offering services but charging money for it um because i think you know doing some own advertising sometimes is a bit mm, but you know you have to do it sometimes and yeah so where i do see myself in in one year probably still where i am right now because it takes a lot more time to build a big community uh saw that at the simpi who had started uh, back from zero again um four Indeed, or five years yeah. ago sean did yeah, yeah true sean had to start all over again and um because i'm working together with him and also sometimes being considered part of the simpit which i appreciate a lot yeah it's great um actually. Mm. yeah he's still you know he was in break even just after a very long long period of time and um right now I'm nowhere break even <laughs> so yeah obviously i would love to grow um my own my own living from sim racing and streaming i think i would have the potential for it um and also would have the time and dedication for it but it's also you know you need to see whether the community is able to carry your idea and um, i can only encourage people that are interested in keeping me running or that are interested in seeing me grow and um want more stuff to happen to support me in whatever way um subscribing liking videos sharing videos um joining the patreon program uh getting acr suck speed where getting well yeah donate on streamlabs do whatever you you like you're up to yeah um that is more than greatly appreciated and obviously touches me deep in the heart in terms of your and we're at the point where Mike actually needs to leave. So, mm. are you there, Mike? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I shut down the live stream, but yeah. um, we can carry on for a few more minutes. Here. Yeah. So I have a few more questions, and then uh, Mike, you can leave at any point if it's okay. I can wrap up. Um, so, in terms of your your streaming, you're you're doing the streaming on, for example, Twitch and YouTube. I noticed that Jimmy Broadbent commented that. He started off on Twitch and then he found that Twitch was more of a more of a specific audience. So he streams mostly on YouTube now. So do you have a preference for streaming on, on Twitch or YouTube or? Not right now. I'm kind of trying to find out where where the community is located, really. And I found out that YouTube is the bigger mass. Mm. Probably also the more unspecific thing to find. Um, I'm also on Twitch because um, people some sort of trying to put me into Twitch. Um, I don't want to say either one of the is the real platform though. Um, I think no, that's a good point. No, it's it's a combination of both. Sometimes you only True. find specific guys on Twitch. Sometimes you only find specific guys on YouTube. Mm. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't really care where to stream. In the end, I only care that my community or the guys that are willing to watch me doing stuff uh, can find me. Yeah, good point. That is yeah. probably the um, the most intent of it. Yeah. Uh, you... Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Obviously, YouTube is the, the stronger platform for myself, um, where I also consider myself having the biggest impact for potential sponsors or partners. Um, but yeah, time will tell where my place will be. Yeah. 
And the work you're doing now with, with, with uh, Sean as a final point, how did that start? Was that following, I think, if I recall correctly, Sean interviewed you as, as part of the lead up to the final of the World Fastest Gamer, wasn't it so? Um, or, yeah, it was. Yeah, I I think so. Yeah. Let me see. I think, yeah, I think we had that interview yeah. before the World Fastest Gamer That's final. Right. Cause he, um, he, go on. Back in the day, in August, I found an important partner to me in the marketing side in August. So um, with me going into the World Fastest Gamer, uh, that guy was like, eh, what about if you don't ask Sean Cole whether to do some cooperation? You know, and, I, and once again, my head was like, Oof, I don't want to really put myself up to a board I'm not sort of invited for. Like, um, I do not want to ask for promotion if, you know, the guy then looks at me saying, what is that dude wanting to do? What is what has he been up to? Like, I don't have him on the radar. He's nothing special, so why should I help him, uh, so to say? Mm. Um, that was my some sort of concern because I, I'm a bit of the pessimistic side, obviously. There. I'm not like myself um, putting myself in the shiny spotlight for no reason or... Stuff like that. So, nevertheless, I asked Sean, um, well, whether we could have some, some talk or something, and I was like, yeah, great, let's have a have an interview very soon. I was following you for weeks anyway, and I would have like contacted contacted you within the next three or four weeks when there would have been time. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I even was on his radar. Fair enough. So, um, we had that interview. And then we got involved in stuff like, what about doing some cooperation between ACI, ACI, Saxpeed, and you? And uh, he was immediately up for it. So we planned our first project, which then died due to the inactivity of some people. Um, but Sean and me kept uh, finding out personality of parallels between us, like mm. if it was from his childhood or from our current life. Um, so yeah, we 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 grew some kind of friendship. And, yeah, uh, yeah right now that, we're yeah. business partners also. Yeah, hmm. so it's a good addition. Okay, and it's been an interesting partnership. And I noticed, for example, that when Sean's not available, you can be on the Simpit streaming, and, and so it's, there's a constant stream of of quality content coming from the channel. So it's quite quite an interesting um, cooperation that just kind of happened. So it's interesting. Yeah, true. I mean, yeah. um, meanwhile, if I him correctly, he he also created the Simpit Pit Crew channel. That yes, is he where did. his mm. Patreon group is allowed to stream as well, and I'm gonna stream there as well too because, ah, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, on on the one hand, I do not see myself being something special that has the um, ability or that has the um, the celebrity bonus of uh, streaming on the Simpit itself, uh, which obviously would be the extremely more interesting platform for me because more exposure. Yes. But um, I do not see myself as being necessary for that bonus. Um, I would also stream on the Pit Crew channel to make that grow. And beyond that, I think the Simpit also started saying, yeah, I'm going to do all my streaming on the Pit Crew channel, whereas all the reviewed content goes back to the Simpit main channel mm. because that was its native its native business case, saying yeah. um, the Simpit was known for putting out reviews and stuff, not for doing live streams. Yeah. And he wants to like go back into his old business more or less again. Mm. Um, so I also respect that. That is an addition. Um, and other than that, yeah, I haven't been, done a lot of streams on his end lately, so I should start doing that again. Hmm. Well, Mitch, yeah, it's you... just go on. Sorry. Yeah, it's just too time consuming everything yes. right now. Yes. Sadly, just... the day has 24 hours for me yeah. as well. <laughs> and it's it sounds like you're not getting a lot of sleep between your your day job and your um, running the team and also your actual racing as well. So. Seems like you're, no, you're I mean, quite quite busy. So, I am. I am. I'm also playing handball because I, didn't I remember. Do that, yes. Yeah. That physical, oh, that physical constitution to be like at my mental awareness of all time. Yeah. Uh, 
I consider sports and fitness to be extremely relevant in that aspect as well. Yeah. Uh, which you can see on my columns being posted in on my Patreon group or Patreon page. Um, so if you want to have a look at that, that you find a lot of why I'm doing fitness, what I'm doing in fitness, and um, also have some insights in the private life there, what's going on if I'm not racing and streaming. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, those are the perks uh, you get in addition. Yeah. Yeah. I remember now you mentioned the handball when, when um, Sean had originally interviewed you and talked about fitness and actually so did Rudy Van Buren. Rudy was also talking about for sport and fitness and how he keeps fit. So, I remember both yeah. of those topics being introduced. Um, we're running over an hour. And Mitchie, it's been a fascinating uh, conversation. Thank you very much for joining and, and sure, taking the time to answer the questions. And I do hope that um, thank you to everybody who offered questions. And I hope that and I do believe that, that um, Mitchie has answered them quite well. And Mitchie, anything you want to promote that's coming up on your channel? Any um events race events or anything that people can watch out for um well yeah there's the second sim racing academy race coming up yep. um i will Which is also part of the wec the... exactly yep i will also will join that wec um and i'm hope to be able to stream them races i'm not sure due to internal team policies whether that's been an option or not hmm um, I will do more community challenges if they have been thrown at me, which Michael Clark definitely does. Um, there is still one open, so we are asked to go around in the Fort Transit um, to get with a with a wiper ahead, like Sabine Schmitz back in the day did with the Top Gear guys. Yeah. Um, that's going to happen. Other than that, you will be able to meet and greet me at the Sim Racing Expo from 9th, 14th to... 16th of September. Oh yeah, at the Nurburgring, yeah. Yeah, exactly, you're going to find me there. And okay. other than that, yeah, I'm trying to grow the, the perks on Patreon, I'm trying to grow my social media with Instagram and, and Facebook pages. Yep. And uh, yeah, all I try to do is grow and grow and grow and give back more interesting stuff and more interesting services to you guys. So whenever you also have a business idea for working together, feel free to contact me. Yeah. By all means. I will in, will include all the relevant details in the below in the description for the podcast. So anybody That's who wants great. to find out can, can can visit the podcast episode and get all the information. Okay, Michi, thank you, Michi, thank you very much for joining. It's been fascinating. No, yeah, thank you so much, Michi. Yeah, are oh, you still there, Mike? <laughs> Hanging on to the bitter end. <laughs> Hanging on, yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so thanks, thanks everyone for joining and thanks again for everybody for submitting the questions. Um, if you have any comments or questions on this podcast, please submit them or leave them in the comment section below on YouTube. Uh, this podcast will be available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio and in RSS feed if you want to add it to your favorite podcast player. And thanks again, everyone, for joining. So until next time, goodbye.